Good morning, welcome again. We uh, are going to be looking this morning at the prayer that we just prayed. We're going to take two weeks to go through it. This is in Matthew chapter 6. We're back in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read starting at verse 5, uh, where Jesus is kind of talking about prayer. And then I'll read through the Lord's Prayer, where he teaches us how to pray. Uh, But I'm only going to really cover the first half of that prayer today, and we'll come back and finish the second half next week. Matthew 6, starting at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we are ashamed at the state of our prayer lives. It's not what it should be, but we also trust that you are a good and a kind and a forgiving Father. Thank you that you love to hear our prayers, that you love to answer them. Help us to believe that about you, and as we believe it, as we were reminded today, teach us to pray more and better. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Preaching on prayer is a bit of a weird thing. On the one hand, fellowship and communicating with God is one of the most basic and fundamental elements of what it means to be a Christian. There is almost nothing as important for me to teach you about as I can about how and why to pray. Uh, and on top of that, prayer is, is pretty uncontroversial. Uh, almost all of us would agree that we should pray, uh, that we should pray more. All of us would agree, I think, that prayer is profoundly important, that it's a really good thing for us to be doing. Uh, even many of the non-Christians that I know pray in some form sometimes. Uh, I've hardly ever known anybody who got upset at me when I said that I would be praying for them. Even most of the atheists that I've known were very appreciative when I've offered to pray for them, even though they literally think I'm doing nothing more than talking to the ceiling. But on the other hand, even though we all would agree that prayer is really important, uh, that it's very uncontroversial, that this is an important part of what it means to know God, on the other hand, it is incredibly difficult It is difficult to teach about. It is difficult to learn about. It is difficult to do. 
If you are like me, you are deeply unsatisfied with the state and the quality of your prayers. Most books that I have read on prayer have left me very discouraged because I think, well, that's not me. I can't do that. I'm not like these people. And with our busy schedules, with our frantic jobs, with our dinging devices, with our scattered minds, prayer is just plain hard. And so it's with uh, simultaneously a great deal of excitement. This is so important. This is one of the main things I'm supposed to do as a pastor. But also with a great deal of trepidation because I'm ashamed about my prayers and I know how hard it is for us to pray. It's with those things at the same time that we now venture upon two sermons on prayer. Right here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. I hope and I have been praying that we all come away from these two sermons encouraged to pray in a deeper way and in a better way than we are right now wherever you are at. I hope and I pray that we might stumble along a little bit forward with baby steps deeper into what Jesus is saying here. The first thing he does when he teaches us to pray is he teaches us how not to pray. How not to pray. Uh, When he's doing that, he gives us two approaches to prayer that you have to reject. He gives you two imposters that might look like prayer, but are really not. But as always, Jesus does not just give you a slap on the hand and tell you to stop it, like that old Saturday Night Live skit with the counselor. All he says is stop it. Jesus doesn't just do that. Jesus also motivates us into good and true prayer by reminding us about the heart and the character of the Father. And so here's the first imposter, the first way not to pray. He says, don't make it a show. Don't make it a show. Uh, He's dealing here with a horizontal problem in prayer. Uh, This problem of praying with an eye open on how the people around you are hearing you. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. It's very similar to what we heard about last week when Jesus was warning about virtue signaling, showing off when you're doing good things and helping out people. Uh, Jesus here is not saying uh, you should never pray when other people hear you. Uh, our, Our worship services are full of prayers where people can hear us. Jesus' point is that our goal when we pray uh, should not be that other people notice us or that other people are impressed by us or even that people learn lots of things from us. Uh, This word hypocrite uh, is a word that refers to actors on a stage, people who would go up, and this is common in Jesus' world, people would do these plays, they'd wear these masks. uh, They're called hypocrites. And Jesus is the first one to take this word and use it the way we use it now. It's a negative term. It's It's a slam on people. Uh, Jesus is applying it to these super religious people in his day uh, who were widely praised, widely admired. Uh, If you've been around the Bible for a while, uh, you know that the Pharisees are kind of the bad guys. We've kind of gotten used to that, and it's easy for us to forget that these are the people that everybody loved. People were shocked that Jesus was so critical of these people. They were widely admired for how pious they were, how sacrificial they were, how much they gave away to the poor. 
And so Jesus now takes this word about being an actor and he says, these guys are just acting. Uh, they look really pious. They look really holy. And he says, don't be like them. They're a bunch of phonies. They're a bunch of LARPers, live action role players, just pretending to do religious things. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Uh, he says, don't be like what I did when I was in college and I was, you know, growing as a Christian and I really wanted to find a Christian wife. And so I'd go to these prayer meetings and I'd come with these really ornate prayers already prepared because I wanted Christian girls to notice me and think, wow, he's really spiritual. I want to marry that guy. Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't do that kind of stuff. He says, if you make prayer into a show for other people, he says, you will get a reward, but all it's going to be is these people's fleeting admiration. Jesus says, whoop de do. Who cares? What you're not going to get is a hearing from God, the only one who really matters in the end. Instead, Jesus says in verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret. He says, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now again, Jesus is not ruling out all public prayer. Uh, Lots of places in the Bible assume that we're going to be doing it. They even command it. But Jesus is saying that when you pray, you need to be praying for God and God alone. Indeed, our, our public prayers, if and when we pray them, can only be healthy and good to the extent that they are flowing out of a life of private prayer. Jesus encourages us to find a quiet, private place to talk to the Father where no one's going to see you, no one's going to hear you, An old Scottish pastor about 200 years ago said this, What a man is on his knees before God, that he is, and nothing more. You cannot hide from God. You cannot trick God. Why should we pray privately for God rather than publicly to make an impression or to teach lessons to other people? Jesus gives us the reason. He says, do this, pray privately, Because your father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is reminding us that prayer is most basically a conversation. But not just a conversation with your creator. It is that. But ultimately, it's a conversation with your father. With your father. It means that you go to God like a child goes to dad to ask for help. At the end of the day, that's all it is. Prayer is going to a father who loves you, who's watching over you, who's protecting you. We go to God confident that he hears us, confident that he sees us in all of our pain, in all of our confusion, even in all of your distraction while you're trying to talk to him. We don't go to him just as an abstract deity out there floating above the universe somehow but we go to him as our father. We believe when we go to him that he loves us, that he wants to help us, that he wants to bless us, that because he's adopted us into his family through what Jesus has done, that because he's actually adopted us, that we now actually have a right to be there with him. We have a right to his ear. We have a right to ask him, even to demand him at some level, to do certain things. And when you know God like that, 
You don't need to show off. You don't need to impress other people. Who cares? You don't care what they think. You have the Father on your side. You're just glad to have a loving and mighty Father who cares more about what's good for you even than you do. So that's the first warning. He just says, don't make prayer a show because your loving Father is the one who's watching you. But now he gives a second warning, a second imposter. He says, don't make prayer into a slog. Don't make it into a show, but don't make it into a slog because your loving Father knows exactly what you need. Uh, The first prayer imposter was mainly a horizontal one, uh, but now... This second prayer imposter is mainly a vertical imposter. We think that God will only listen to us if we bribe him with a lot of words and a lot of effort. Jesus says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So many of us, myself included, can assume that God does not really care about listening to us. That he's too busy. He's too important. He's too distracted with more important things and more important people. We assume that he must be aloof, disinterested, cold, withholding, disappointed. We think that he must treat us A lot like we often treat our kids. A lot like many of our own dads treated us. So few Christians pray with real joy and confidence. We so easily think that God just does not care. That at best, he will maybe start to care if we show him that we really, really mean it. But Jesus says... Don't do that. He says, you don't need to butter God up. You don't need to stroke his ego by stuffing your prayers full of religious fluff and self-abasing rituals. Jesus says, he's your father. He loves you. He wants to bless you. He delights to hear and to answer your prayers. Martin Luther put it like this. God has no need of such everlasting twaddle. Prayers ought to be brief, frequent, and intense. Brief, frequent, and intense. Imagine if there was a child who never cried, a child who never asked for anything, a child who was saving up food under their bed. You would know that something was severely wrong in that child's relationship with its parents. God's not like that. We don't need to treat him like that. It's true. We do constantly struggle with sin. We often waste God's gifts. We often get distracted by little shiny pieces of garbage. But if you trust in the Lord Jesus, that means that you've been adopted into God's family in spite of all your sin, all your failures, all your weaknesses, not just the ones that you did way back in the day before you became a Christian, But even the ones that you haven't even done yet, God knows about all those things. He still says, I'm your father. I'm glad you're my son. 
I'm glad you're my daughter. I want to listen to you. I want you to talk to me. And so as an adopted child, you have the loving ear of the father so that when you cry out to him, you say, Father. He does not respond by saying, take a hike. You're a mess. I'm too busy. Instead, he says, here I am. Tell me what you need. I love to help you. Isn't that what a good father does? But it's not just that the father loves you, as wonderful as that is. Jesus also says that the reason you don't need to bribe God with lots of fancy words and rituals, the reason that you can cut straight to the chase with him, is this. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. You don't need to inform God, kind of like sometimes we do with each other. We're kind of using prayer as a time to share the latest news. Uh, We don't need to inform God about everything going wrong in our lives. Uh, It's not like God says, oh, wow, like, thank you for telling me that. I did not realize that you have a crazy boss. (laughs) I did not realize that your children are always on the edge of murdering each other. I did not realize that you have this test coming up next week that you're really worried about because it's going to determine what next year is going to look like in school. Jesus says the Father loves you. He knows what you need. He's going to give it to you. Now, does God need us to pray? Well, no, of course not. God doesn't need us to pray. God can provide for us however he wants and whenever he wants. But one of the primary ways that God provides for us, one of the primary ways that God works in this world is through prayer. Our prayers actually, uh, with God using them, our prayers actually and truly are changing the course of our lives in this world. It's not just an exercise for our own sake. God really is using them. He says, no, pray. I will work through your prayers. I will do things with them. And so as you pray to the Father, on top of that, as you pour out your complaints to him and your needs and your worries, uh, God is also drawing us closer to himself. As you pray, you're learning more and more what he's like. You come to know him better and better. You gain a deeper confidence and a deeper joy to talk to him even more about more kinds of things. The Father loves you. The Father knows what you need. And so Jesus makes a point so simple, it's almost shocking. Jesus says, well, just go to him. Just start talking. Just start telling him what you need. Ask for whatever you want. He's listening. He will provide for you. Jesus has warned us how not to pray. But now he starts to talk to us about how to pray. Uh, They're not the only things, they're not the only words we can pray for. Uh, But Jesus is giving us a model prayer. He's saying this kind of covers all the bases. This is a great uh, thing, not just to pray in itself, but it's a great uh, launching pad to show us the kinds of things we should be praying. Jesus is showing us the kinds of things that we can know with total certainty that God will give us. We pray, we should pray for things that we don't know if God's going to answer, uh, that we know God hasn't necessarily promised us. We should pray for all kinds of things. But there's a lot of things that we can pray knowing that God promises to give them to us. Is there anybody who knows better how to talk to the Father than the Father's beloved Son? For all of eternity, the Father and the Son have been in communion with each other, and then the Son comes to earth, takes on hum- human nature, and he says, let me teach you how to communicate with my Father. He's been doing it forever. He says, I want to show you how to do it. We're going to cover only verses 9 and 10 today. It's the first half of the Lord's Prayer. In the first half of the prayer, Jesus is teaching us to pray with an eye on God 
and his character and his work. The first half is dominated by the language of you and your, directly addressing God. These are the most important things to be praying, but they're not the only things to be praying. The second half of the prayer teaches us to pray with an eye on the world around us, an eye on our lives here on earth. It's dominated by the language of us and our. The two halves of the prayer, they do have a theological priority to them. The first half is the foundation. The first half is more important than the second half. But at the same time, you cannot have one without the other. If you merely just stick to praying theologically with a focus on God and you never get around to asking God to help you, you're not really praying or you don't really know who God is. You need both halves, even though there's a, there's a priority to them. We're going to look at the first half, verses 9 and 10. Looking up to the Father. Prayer is first looking up to the Father. The first thing you need to see as Jesus teaches us to pray is that it starts with an address to God. It might seem really simple, uh, kind of obvious at first, but this is really important. Even before you get to any requests, you start out by saying, Our Father in heaven. Now, once again, Jesus is calling us to orient ourselves around God's character as Father. Not only uh, that He lovingly cares about us, but also that He sovereignly cares for us. We will always and only be God's children. Dependent, needy, weak, and ignorant. We come to God like a little kid running to dad. Scared in the middle of the night. Angry about being bullied by other people. Hurt after falling off a bike. All these kinds of things that a kid does going to a good father. Jesus says, that's what you're like in relationship to God. When Jesus teaches about prayer in the Gospel of Luke, he says to his disciples... You all are not very good parents, but even you know not to give your kids a scorpion when they ask you for a snack. Oh, you want some Cheez-Its? How about a rattlesnake? Jesus says, you know not to do that. You're really bad parents, but you know not to do that. He says, this is his conclusion to that little story, that little illustration. He says, if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more... Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God is a Father who knows how to give us good gifts. The bedrock of prayer is this posture of childlike trust and dependence, this childlike confidence that the Father loves us and knows what's good for us. But we don't just pray, My Father even though we do that and we should do that. Jesus says we're supposed to pray our Father. We pray with and for other Christians in our family and in our church all over the world. Prayer is never just a private experience between me and God. There is always this element of going to the Father on behalf of my brothers and sisters also. We are in it together. We're praying to not just my father, but to our father. And we're praying to our father in heaven. It means that we address God, not just as a bigger version of ourselves, 
not just a bigger version of our own fathers for good and for bad, but that we are addressing him as one who is transcendent, one who is above us infinitely, who is holy, something entirely different than we are. He's our loving father, but he's our loving father in heaven. He's not Santa Claus. He's not the cosmic grandpa who just kind of hands out goodies to nice people. He's almighty. He's perfect. He's the source of all beauty and goodness. And so it's all a great encouragement for us to go to him in prayer. Uh, Sometimes we kind of think, oh, God is really powerful uh, and God is loving. And somehow those things kind of work against each other. Like when we emphasize God's power, maybe he's like kind of scowling and he's kind of this distant king up there. But when we talk about God being loving, it's like, oh, he's really kind of fun and warm. Jesus says, no, 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 no. These things come together. He's our father in heaven. It's not in spite of his mighty power that he's caring for you as a father, but it's precisely in his mighty power that he's caring for you as a loving father. Jesus now gives the first three requests of the prayer. So you start out addressing God, our father in heaven and everything that entails. Then he gives these requests. They are all related to each other. They kind of bleed into each other. They all focus on the father's character and his work and his desires. But before you di- we dive into them, I want you to notice that Jesus does not give us mindless mantras, but he gives us specific requests. Silence and contemplation and listening are important aspects of a healthy prayer life. Those are important. But the thing that really makes prayer prayer is that you are asking the Father for things. The thing that makes prayer prayer is that you are making requests. Prayer is not hitting eject on your mind. It's not just seeking a general sense or impression of the transcendent or the divine or the force. You are talking to a personal and a mighty and a loving God about the problems and the needs of this world and your life. And so the first request is this. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is an old-fashioned word that means that God is special. God is holy. It's a way of saying that we want God to make his name different, to set it apart in a special way, a way that's appropriate to its true nature. In the Bible, somebody's name is a shorthand way of referring to their character, their reputation, their whole set of attributes, what makes them them. And so in this first request, we're praying that God would work in the world so that he would be seen and known for who he really is. A lot of people have very uh, confused and wrong ideas of who God is. A lot of people treat God like he's something very different than he is. And so we start out, we say, God, I want you to be praised for all your goodness and your beauty in all the ways that you reveal yourself. Uh, That, of course, happens supremely through the Bible and through preaching the Bible. But God also is constantly revealing himself in the world through his creation. He's revealing himself through nature. He's revealing himself through art and through music and through math. All these things. God's constantly placing his name on these things, revealing what he's like. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're praying that we and other people would truly come to know God in all the places and all the ways that he's making his name known. That in this knowledge, they would treat, that we would treat God as God, that we would respect him and honor him for who he really is. 
And so you notice that right away, prayer makes God the center. Prayer is not first and foremost about our own experience, about our own expression of our own desires and our own feelings. It's about God first and foremost. Now notice that even when you're asking God to make his name holy, it's only something that he can do. You're asking him to do it. We cannot make God's name holy. We cannot force other people or even ourselves to treat it appropriately. We have no power to do that. Only God can sanctify his name, and so we humbly ask him to do so. We pray for him to be seen and known as loved and loved as the one true God in our lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our country, in our world. The second request is that God would cause his kingdom to come. Now, again, this is not anything that we can do on our own. Only God can spread his kingdom. Uh, Nowhere in the New Testament are Christians described in terms of themselves being the ones who spread the kingdom or expand the kingdom. Uh, The kingdom is something you enter. It's something you receive. God is the one who spreads his kingdom. Uh, We're not just asking that God would kind of usher in the end of history uh, and with it, the second coming of Jesus, the final judgment, the restoration of all things. We should long for that and we should pray for that. That's the kind of final and the full arrival of God's kingdom. But even more than that, we are asking that right now, God would be spreading his kingdom in anticipation of that final arrival of the kingdom. We're praying that right now that we and those around us would submit to the Father's kingly rule through Jesus. We're praying that the Father would overthrow the tyrannical rule of Satan all around us. We're praying that God would bless the work of his church that Christians would be living as faithful citizens of the kingdom as they pursue all kinds of callings in this world, in their parenting, in their offices, in their gardening, in their policing, in their studying. We're saying, God, help us to be faithful citizens of your kingdom when we do all these things. And we're asking on a related note that God, this, this is the third request, would fulfill his holy will here on earth just like he already is doing in heaven. Uh, In heaven, all the angels around God's throne love to do whatever God says. God says, do this, and they say, oh, great. This is wonderful. I love this. This is so great. The Bible says there's all kinds of different angels, different kind of levels and powers, and uh, there's kind of this whole hierarchy of angels, apparently, and all of them are just happy to do whatever God gives them. There's no angels in heaven saying, well, why am I not that angel? Why am I not Michael? Why don't I get to go announce to, to Mary that Jesus is coming? They just say, oh, wow, this is great. Thank you. I will do what you want. Jesus is saying we should pray that God would do his will and that it would be loved in the same way that it's loved in heaven. And again, we can't force God's will on the world. We're asking God to do it. We humbly ask that God would work in such a way in my own heart and in our hearts so that his will is not only obeyed, but also loved. So that we would be like the angels and say, we love to do what you've given us to do. Even if it's different than what we had hoped for or planned. Say, yes, I love your will. We pray that the Father would be seen and known and followed cheerfully and sacrificially. Not just by those who already know God as Father, but also by those who do not yet know him as Father. We're praying that other people would come to find life in his family. That they too would be adopted as new baby Christians. So that's the first part of how to pray. Uh, To be continued next week, we're praying 
with a focus on God, on His character, on His kingdom, on His will for us and for our world. But we are praying these things to Him as our Father. He's forgiven us. He's adopted us into His family because of Jesus' work for us. And so because of that, because we're now His adopted children, He truly loves us. I heard about a pastor who would sometimes say to Christians who were struggling, he'd say, you're acting like an orphan right now. You're not an orphan. You're an adopted, beloved child of God. How would a child act who knew that they were in the Father's home? Because God loves us as his children, we can not only ask him for what we need, but we want to ask him for what we need. We don't just put on a show. Uh, It doesn't become a slog to us anymore because we know that God loves us, that he knows us, that he's providing for us. So let's go to him uh, in new ways, in deeper ways, in better ways. We'll start right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can call you Father and that it is not just a projection of our minds, wishful thinking uh, built out of bad experiences with our own dads here on earth, but that you really are our Father. You really do love us. You really have adopted us. We look around at the world, we look around at our lives, and we see so many reasons to doubt that you care or that you're there or that you have anything to do with the way the world is going. Uh, So help us. Give us faith to believe that you really are the Father and that we really are your children. Teach us to pray in new and deeper and better ways. Uh, Make prayer not a burden, but a joy. Help us to make baby steps forward in this life of prayer and dependence. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.